Welcome to the Sheer Law Group's podcast of Truth Serum. Law, real estate, and everything else that matters. Sheer Law Group represents lenders, landlords, and investors throughout the state of California, with offices in the San Francisco Bay Area and Orange County, California. Laws change daily. Economic trends change faster than at any time in history. Ignorance is not bliss, and the unwary and unprepared get punished if they fail to keep up. If you want insightful information on issues of interest to the real estate lender, landlord, or investor, you've come to the right place. Add on some colorful commentary on everything else that matters, and you're now ready for Truth Serum with your host, Spencer Shear. Truth Serum wants to thank Hartwood House for becoming a sponsor of the Truth Serum podcast. Hartwood House is a world-class medical detoxification facility that's located in Marin County, California. Alcohol or drug addiction doesn't have to destroy your life or the ones you love. There is hope. For more information about Hartwood House, go to www.heartwooddetox.com. That's www.heartwooddetox.com. Hartwood House where addiction meets compassion and recovery. Truth Serum is happy to present a special two-part series entitled Addiction, Divorce, and Recovery. It's a family affair. The onslaught of the COVID-19 pandemic accelerated social problems that were already wreaking havoc on individuals and families in the U.S. Sprinkle an existential fear of an unknown virus, forced lockdowns, unemployment, and social isolation, and the result was a massive increase in individual and family dysfunction in the U.S. Legal Templates, which offers legal forms, including divorce and separation documents, published a report on July 29, 2020, with ongoing stats about the impact of the pandemic on the family. The report found that COVID-19 lockdowns began to destroy marriages quickly. The sale of divorce and separation agreements peaked three weeks into the quarantine, increasing 57% over the prior two months. Newlyweds were hit the hardest, but the rate of divorce on couples with children, which is usually a lot lower, increased by over 5%. And the news on addiction and mental health was also equally alarming. A study by Frontiers in Psychiatry, which was published online on April 16, 2021, found that as of May 2020, 39% of Americans lost their jobs or had their work hours curtailed due to the pandemic. The stress that results because of financial uncertainty, along with an increase in free time and the absence of employment repercussions, led to a significant increase in drug use. Data from the first quarter of 2020 demonstrated the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic on substance abuse among Americans. From January to March of 2020, 19,146 people died from drug overdoses, compared to an already high number of 16,682 people in the same quarter of 2019. The CDC estimated a record number of U.S. drug-related deaths in 2020. So while the impact of the pandemic is now lessening, addiction, mental health problems, and suicides continue to skyrocket, while divorces continue to disrupt families. And the biggest impact and the most traumatic is on younger children. 
A subspecies of this problem is found in the fentanyl, an opioid epidemic that's skyrocketing this country and tearing at the roots of our culture. In the first part of this two-part special, we'll examine the impact of divorce on the individual, the family, and the country as a whole. And we'll explore the concept of blended family relationships. What are they? Why are they increasing in number? And what can enhance the chances of a successful blended family? In the second episode, we'll explore addiction and why just getting clean and sober may only be part of the solution. I'll be interviewing noted podcast host Andrea Ashley, whose podcast Adult Child explores the concept of why family trauma and dysfunction can impact addicts well after sobriety is obtained and how dealing with the root family issues has to be a necessary component of real recovery for many addicts. The law. Economically, the process of divorce is expensive. It can often result in bitter court battles. Even with the onset of no-fault divorce, the impact can linger well beyond the entry of the divorce decree. Studies have consistently shown that the impact on women and children who continue in a single-parent home can be particularly acute. Socially and physically, the impact of divorce can be equally devastating. A recent study published by Brianna Thomas in 2020 examined the effects of divorce on children. She found that the impact of a divorce on young children is now clinically defined as toxic stress. That means stress on a younger child that continues over a prolonged period of time. Her study found that toxic stress often translates into lower learning skills, increased behavioral problems, and heightened injuries resulting from teen pregnancy and sex trafficking. The result is also increase of chronic disease and suicide. Thomas also found in her study that these results are not eliminated, but they're vastly reduced in a two-parent household. This is likely no surprise to most of my listeners. You have likely had to cope with or interact directly with divorce or with children or grandchildren who've been greatly impacted by divorce. However, many people who divorce remarry. And to further complicate things, many who remarry bring children into a new marriage, resulting in what has become known as a blended family. This can often result in resentment or bitterness as members of one family find themselves with a parent or extended family that they don't know, or they may not like, or they may even resent. What keeps the same cycle of failure from happening again? What particular challenges face blended families? What can they do to up the odds that their marriage won't fail? Join me in part one of this two-part series as I interview Ron Deal. Ron's the director of Family Life Blended, and he's a best-selling author. Join me and Ron as we discuss how a blended family can become a mended family and the challenges in making that happen. Truth Serum wants to thank Iron Oak Home Loans for becoming a sponsor of the Truth Serum podcast. Iron Oak's a full-service portfolio private money lender, and it's a servicing company. It's located in San Ramon, California, helping its investors to achieve maximum return by investing primarily in California real estate. For borrowers, not all borrowers have AAA credit, and sometimes you need a lender who understands and who can get you a loan when you need it most. Iron Oak can help. Great service and great people. If you want more information, go to www.ironoak1.com. 
That's www.ironoak1.com. Or call Rich at 925-803-2465. Laws and Real Estate. All right, Ron Deal, ma- you have a master's degree in marriage and family therapy. You're a director of Family Life Blended and are the president of Smart Step Families. Together with co-author Gary Chapman, you wrote a book called Building Love Together and Blended Families. And you've had written best-selling books, including The Smart Step Family. You spent decades training therapists and speaking at conferences. You're married and you have three children. Ron, welcome to Truth Serum. Well, thank you. It's uh, it's an honor and a pleasure to be with you. And that, that was a good introduction. You practiced that. <laughs> yeah, well, you did all the stuff. All I had to do was recount it, right? <laughs> there you go. Let's go through a few preliminary questions about the impact of divorce just to set the scene a little bit. I think it's important because statistics show that just less than 50% of marriages in the U.S. will end up in divorce. So many of my listeners are already impacted by divorce or they'll face the issue with their children or grandchildren. So my first question is, according to the U.S. uh, Census Bureau, the rate of divorce increases in relationship to how many times you marry, and meaning that the more times you marry, the more likely you are to divorce. And my question is, do you agree with this? And why wouldn't the opposite effect occur, that you get wiser and you learn from your past mistakes? Oh, man, if only, right? Well, first of all, let me. I think there's a little bit of good news I can share with you. The divorce rate is not as high as most people think and really never has been. It just, uh, the, you know... Statistics are one of those things that it's easy to, to misunderstand, but I think a lot of experts today would say of all marriages, probably 40 to 45% will likely end in divorce at some point in time. There's a lot of bad stats about blended family divorces. The bottom line is the divorce rate is a little bit higher, probably 10 to 15% higher than first marriages. It's not as bad sometimes as reported. I've heard people say, well, you have a 75% chance of divorce. That's not true. Um, and so here's what's important about that. There are challenges to blended family marriages and blended family life in general. When families understand what causes stress? What are those difficulties? What's the normal process of becoming a family, if I could say it that way? Merging parents, kids, et cetera. How does that, what does that look like for the typical family? How long does it take? When people understand what's common and they begin to work towards that goal, they are far more successful than not. And that's the good news. The bad news is when families are not intentional, when they just say, hey, love is going to conquer all, and then they just keep running into these roadblocks they don't know how to deal with, um, then we find that they struggle, and it creates more pain and heartache both for adults and for children in that step-family situation. So that's what I do is I try to help people understand the process, know what they can do about it, what they can't do about it, because, Spencer, there's some things you can't, you can't fix. But here's how we're going to cope. Here's, we're going to, here's how we're going to manage this and move forward with our family. And uh, it's just an honor and a privilege for me. I love seeing people be successful. So that's great. Good. And again, we're focusing right now because you're, you're, you immediately went to the blended families, and that is families either that are the uh, next step after there's been a divorce or somebody died. Because uh, one thing you said, you said from day one, 
a blended family is a collection of insiders and outsiders in search of familiness. Yeah. So give my listeners yeah. a brief background on some of the special problems you see facing blended family. Yeah, let's just break that down for a minute because that's actually very significant. Insiders and outsiders. You remember back in seventh grade and that group of friends that you so wanted to be a part of? <laughs> you remember you wanted to do whatever it took. You had to buy the right clothes. You had to play the right game. You had to fix your hair, whatever it was, so that those people over there would accept you and bring you in. Okay, that's an insider and outsider moment. You're an outsider, and they're insiders, and nobody wants to be an outsider. We all want to be in the middle. We want to be embraced, accepted, and a part of the group. When a blended family forms, you have some insiders. Those are people who are biologically related to one another. Not only do they share DNA, (laughs) but they share a common history, a family story. Uh, everything from how it all began to how it came apart. They share that grief narrative that they've been walking with that has now led to a place where new people are entering in. And so now I have step-siblings and a step-parent, and those are outsiders to me and to us. By the way, if an adult, if, if, if a couple gets together and they each bring children, you have two sets of insiders and two sets who are also outsiders to the other group of insiders. Does that make sense? And so everybody's trying to figure out, how do we merge? How do I get to be in? How do I get accepted and embraced? But here's the catch. And this, is, this gets at one of the most common struggles that people face, especially in the first you know, three to four years of a, of a blended family. Some people are more motivated to become an insider than others. Imagine you're a, a stepmom. You got a couple of kids of your own. Now you've got a couple of stepchildren, and you very much want your stepchildren to like you, love you, see you as somebody that they value and cherish. And you want to, you want them to feel safe with you. You want to feel safe in this family to feel connected. So your motivation, stepmom, is very high to become an insider with those children. Scale of one to 10, she'd probably say, I'm a 9.5. Like, I really want us to love each other. Of course you do. That's great. Well, let's jump over to the other side. On a scale of 1 to 10, how motivated are your stepchildren to embrace and receive you? The answer is, I don't know. It's somewhere between 9.4 and 1. <laughs> Maybe 0. I don't know. Some kids are an 8, Spencer. And like, you know what? When motivation's high on everybody's side, guess what? Those blended families move through bonding quicker, and they tend to find marital cohesion and family cohesion faster. But what if those two stepchildren, one of them's a seven and one of them's a three? Well, 9.5 stepmom is working really hard and she is trying to move her way into their heart. And they're like, the three is like, I don't need you. You know, you're nice. You know, take me to soccer practice and please, please wash my underwear and clean them for me. But no, I don't want to be your best friend. I don't want you to be my mom. You know, okay. So motivation is a barrier at this point in time. People got to understand this. If you're a 9.5 trying to outsider trying to become an insider, you got to respect where the three is. You got to respect the seven. You got to meet them where they are. Because if you don't, you're going to make an enemy out of them. And then they're really not going to let you in. And now we got more problems than we started with. That's the type of thing that's going on under the surface as the family is trying to merge together. Now, that's just one example. I can give you nine books worth of other examples <laughs> that we've written to just talk about some of the challenges. 
Some of them are big challenges. Some of them are smaller, just depending. But that's just uh, a pretty common one that people have to figure out how to navigate. Now, that's a great uh, intro. Let me ask you a question. In your experience, do you find that, let's say you do have the, the anxious uh, stepmother really wanting to, and you got a sibling or, or a step-sibling that is uh, you know, unwilling or, or very, very uh, distant, do you find that that's the case in most blended families, or are most people trying hard to make it work? You know, I think most are trying to make it work. I just think they have a different idea or different definition of what it what it looks like when it's working. I mean, again, it goes back to motivation. Let me give you a quick little analogy that everybody listening right now can relate to. It's called a pandemic. <laughs> you know, two years ago when the global pandemic started, we all began to be taught what it is to be a blended family. We just didn't know it. See, Spencer, first thing they did is they said, go home. Hang around with the people you know and love the most, your insiders, and avoid outsiders, people where you're not sure who, what they've touched, where they've been, what disease they might be carrying, and put on a mask so that you're protected and guarded against those outsiders. Now, do life that way. Well, that's kind of hard to do, and we all bumbled and stumbled around for a while trying to figure out how to work from home, school from home, church from home, everything from home. And we didn't know how to find our way. That's like blended families on day one. They don't really know how to navigate all the newness, all the changes, all the, well, wait a minute, I thought the rules were this, and you're telling me the rules are that. And But after a while, here we are, we've been doing it a couple of years, guess what? We kind of have new rhythms. we figured out the pathways. We know how to do some of those things and function. We don't like it all, but we can do it. But there was this point, let me just focus on this for a minute, where they started to say, okay, you could come out again. You remember, it was back a year ago, and, and we started talking about, um, you know, restaurants opening up again, and and whether workplaces were going to open up again, whether you could go out and spend time with people. Okay. And then they said, six feet apart, in the store, wherever you go, and everybody wear a mask. Okay. Did you, like me, figure out real fast that the guy next to you in, in Kmart didn't have the same definition of six feet away as you did. <laughs> you know, he's like two feet away from you, bumping elbows, and he's not wearing a mask. And you're like, hey, dude, I don't think this is the way we're supposed to do this. But he's comfortable with that, but you're not. Okay, in blended families, somebody's always waiting for somebody to open up. That's number one. Somebody who's just a little more closed than we wish they were. And then when you are around them, your definition of closeness is different than their definition of closeness. You you want to be three feet away, no mask. But they're like, no, dude, my definition is 10 feet away and we're both in hazmat suits. There's no way I want to touch you. There's no way I want to get that close to you. Well, guess what? Uh, that's ripe for conflict because you don't agree on even what we're trying to build here. I'd like to be close and connected and you're like going, no, I I'm not comfortable with that. So what did we do in society? Well, we sort of find our way through. And I don't know about you, but every time I'd walk up to somebody in that season of life, I'd go, are we fist bumping or are we actually shaking hands? You, you try to give some question that will bring some definition to how are we going to do this moment? That's what blended families got to do. Hey, tell you what, uh, what would you like to call me? I know I'm not your dad. You can call me stepdad. You can call me Ron. Like what works for you? And you have this little conversation that brings some definition to the moment so that you know how to move forward in this relationship. That's happening over and over and over as the family moves through time. But here's the thing. The longer you stay with it, 
the longer and the more definition you bring to your relationship, you begin to settle into rhythms. You begin to figure out how to do it. You begin to say, oh yeah, okay, I don't have to think of you as a dad, but I do think of you as somebody who's valuable in my world and in my life. And so, I'm going to let you be like, I don't know, my bonus dad. And and so, the kid figures it out, the adult figures it out, and you navigate that terrain, and now you get to be family. Uh, that's the cool thing about bonding in a blended family. It can take some time. Some people do bonding faster than other people do. You will get there with most people if you just stay persistent and patient and keep moving forward. Let's drill into that. that that's one, I think your analogy is wonderful. Very, very relatable. So again, I, what I took away part of, uh, from that was that uh, it's a maturity level issue. You might have people that are very good or bad at communicating. So what would you say are some of the first things a blended couple might do to remove fear, suspicion, or hostility and, and, and engage that concept? Okay, my latest book is called Preparing to Blend, and it's a book for engaged couples who are not yet married, but they're on their way to the altar, and the family is about to become a stepfamily, formally becoming a family. One of the chapters, one of the things we talk about in there is, let's bring some, let's co-create definition to your relationships. And it's sort of like what I was saying a second ago. They're actually going to have a structured conversation where they say, what do you want to call me? When we're just doing life here at home, what do you want to call me? Let's talk that through. And then, oh, by the way, would it be okay if I called you this? Um, are you comfortable with me calling you by your first name or what, whatever that might be? Well, can, I, can I stop that for one second? So is that a role play that the whole uh, prospective family gets into? How, how does that Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Because everybody needs to have a say. Hey, listen, Spencer, the thing is, a child over the age of three has an opinion about dad marrying this woman and me having four step-siblings now that I got to share my bedroom and my toys with. Everybody has an opinion. And the big mistake that adults make is saying, well, we're the adults, and because we love each other, they're all going to be fine with this. That is a huge mistake. Uh, your kids might be 35, and you're getting married at the age of 70. Your kids are invested in this big decision. It's affecting their life, their children. They very much want to have a say in it. Giving children of every age a voice, not permission, you're not asking their permission, but a voice in how things happen, when they happen, and to what degree the relationships come together is so vital. Now, the other part of this little conversation, let me just do part two, just to illustrate the depth of this. It, it, the next part of the conversation is, okay, future stepchild, <laughs> um, when we're in public, what do you want to call me? And what do you want me to call you? And then here's third, and when your bio, if I'm the stepdad, it, when your biological dad is in the room with us, what do you want to call me when your dad is in within, within earshot? See, every one of these in private, in public, and when your other bio parent is in the room may result in a different label. The child might say, hey, when we're here at mom's house, I'll just call you dad. And by the way, not many kids do that, but some do. So he'll just say, yeah, I'm comfortable calling you dad around here. But if my dad's in the room, I'm not calling you dad. Because my dad is my dad. You see, kids know the difference. And they don't want to hurt feelings. And they want to be loyal. And they don't want to, dad to walk away going, oh my gosh, my kid's rejecting me for the new stepdad. So they need to have a different label for you when their dad's in the room. They may need to call you by your first name at that point. Because... That's honoring to the relationships that matter to them. This is the stuff 
that helps you figure out who we're going to be to one another and how we're going to do life together. This is just one example, um, but it's a good example of something that really has to be figured out. Those are just, those are very practical. I think those are great points. Appreciate that. Let me ask you just uh, maybe morph just a little bit to the role that grandparents might play in this because there's so many, again, you got second generation divorces going on now. So what's the role of a grandparent in helping to bring together a blended family? Okay, well, first of all, I think grandparents are underrated. I think I think they are so valuable. And oddly enough, I think, Spencer, our society, the whole retirement concept has a lot of grandparents going, yeah, I don't really have to do anything anymore. No, my goodness, you have this incredible stabilizing love in the lives of your grandchildren with all the hard that they've gone through in their life. Look, by death or by divorce, they've lost a family. You can be a stabilizing force of love, a persistent presence in their life, filling gaps, being there before all that happened and after it happens. And oh, by the way, when they go through uh, forming a blended family, you can continue to be a stabilizing force to stay involved in your kids' lives. Sometimes you acquire a new step-grandchild or two because your son or daughter married somebody with kids. And it can be a little confusing to say, okay, well, I've got biological grandchildren, and I've been in their life since they were born. You know, they know me, I know them, we have life history, and we have routine. I don't know who these other kids are. You know, they're 12 and 10 or 16, and I don't have a clue. Okay, so guess what? Start trying. You're an outsider. Start beginning the process of building a relationship with them. It'll be awkward at times, perhaps. Step in where you can as you're able. Sometimes you got to use technology because you're at a distance. If you're physically close enough, find a way. Talk to their parents, by the way, and say, give me some tips. What connects with your 16-year-old? What connects to this 12-year-old? What do they like to do? All right, that's helping me figure out the first place we're going to connect. And Oh, it's baseball. Oh, it's fashion. Oh, it's talking about this. Um, You find your way in. You start building a relationship slowly over time. In the meantime... You got a great relationship going on with your biological grandkids. And that can feel a little schizophrenic, but hey, welcome to blended family living. This is the way it is. There, it's just like a quick analogy. We all have friendships in life with deep, connected friend with people that uh, mean the world to us. And we all have other friendships that are okay, distant. You know, I, I spend a little time with you, but I don't tell you that my deepest, darkest fears or dreams. Sort of like that in a blended family on day one. Some people you're really connected to. Other people sort of, maybe, not really. Okay, it is what it is. Start working on each individual relationship and trust that over time, it will deepen, it will grow. Uh, Relationships in a blended family are like cooking in a crockpot. It takes time and a steady heat. And you add that up together and you get something really good. It is not, Spencer, an Instapot. (laughs) In fact, that's a big mistake to even try to force the ingredients to cook fast. They each want to cook in their own way, in their own time. That's what crockpots do best. So if you have that mentality and you just stay with it, six or seven hours will cook you something really good. Six or seven years usually gets you way down the road in a blended family. 
Your analogies are great. How do you handle, let's say there's the Darth Vader in the family. The family's working to try yeah. and blend, and, and there's, whether it's a, you know, a grandparent or, or a sibling or whatever it is that just is, is doing their best to sow discontent. How would you approach that? Okay, if, if I said, go make a friend with your new neighbor, they just moved in, and you went and knocked on their door, and they said, get away, never come back probably would get away and think about never going back. Like, it's not a safe relationship to build. And you know they are not interested in growing that relationship with you. In a blended family situation, it's not quite that easy. You can't just avoid them forever because, you know, they're still family. But you do need to be gentle. You need to respect the fact that on a scale of motivation, 1 to 10, they're a 1 or maybe a 0.5. You can't force your way into their home, if you will. You can't barge down the door and run into their heart. It's not going to work. It's going to backfire every single time. Let me, let, let, me flip that time. One. let me flip that one for a second. So let's say, because I'm thinking, because I, I hear these things all the time. Uh, it never happened in my yeah. family, but how about your? It's there's the holidays. You're you're together for Thanksgiving. You're together for Christmas, and there's a Darth Vader in there. Do you do something to try yeah. and diffuse that personally apart from the family? Do you deal with the family? What would you do in those circumstances? Okay, so I'll, I'll take a shot at it. Of course, the context matters. Like, you know, sometimes that Darth Vader is a relationship with Uncle Charlie, and and I'm the biological parent, and, and he's my uncle, and so he's been in my life forever. But the step-parents going, I don't know what to do with your Uncle Charlie. Like, that's just a really awkward thing. Okay, so here's what we've learned about Uncle Charlie. We we can't ambush him. We can't do, We can't force him to go to the movies. He's not going to go. We can't. He's not going to build a puzzle with it. He's just not going to. So we let him do his thing. We try to engage him around. So you, it's sort of like you talk, you communicate with the people who know that person best, and you try to find a strategy to gently, gently, <laughs> you know, do life. you got to do the holidays together, how are we going to manage the next three days? Sometimes that's as good as it gets for these three days. The long-term vision is, all right, you know, in two months, we're going to be, you know, my cousin's having a birthday. We're all going to be together again. What are we going to do there? How are we going to manage the relationship with Uncle Charlie? Um, Sometimes you can do things behind the scenes, try to build, you know, a one-on-one. Probably that's going to be... I say this out loud, and, and here's the thing. Some people go, oh, man, I never thought of that. That's worth a shot. Other people go, yeah, we tried that once, and that was a disaster. Okay, if you give it a shot and it doesn't work, you go to a different strategy. But I think the big overarching principle here is you can't make somebody love you who does not want to love you. What you can do is be kind in spite of who they are. And let me tell you, kindness over time adds up to some pretty good influence. It does not guarantee that somebody will come around. Nothing guarantees that. But it might just chip away at the hardness of their heart to the point where they soften a little bit and things get better. That's a principle we teach to co-parents who have a divorced spouse and the other home and, you know, they hate you. And no matter what you try to improve your parenting between the households so your child doesn't get caught in this ongoing warfare. I, like, if your kid is on the border of Ukraine and Russia right now, uh, that's a horrible place to be. Your job is to be an ambassador to the other country and try to improve relationships. Sometimes the other country is open to that, and sometimes they're not. You can do what you can do to try to be kind in the moment. That's one way 
to eventually soften some people. Yeah, lots of wisdom there. I appreciate it. Let me switch the direction just a little bit. I read a recent Wall Street Journal article, and they were exploring the negative impact of TikTok videos on the, the mental health of teenagers. And in particular, they're saying where TikTok became, was somewhat uh, innocent and communicative at first, it's now becoming uh, a place especially for young teenagers to show their bodies to each other. And what happens as a result oftentimes is either predatory responses or negative repercussions in work or, or social interactions later. Uh, is social media the unstoppable Trojan horse? Or what can families do, blended or not, to, to, uh, to, to get uh, a positive impact on this? A absolutely it is. Um, parents need to be vigilant to have boundaries around all of that. Uh, you would never open up the door of your house, your front door, leave it open, and allow people to come off the street and bring whatever it is that they bring with them into, the, into your living room. You would never allow that, except you do all the time in the form of a smartphone. Um, because you think your nine-year-old needs to have access to the to the universe through the internet. Not true. I mean, all the experts right now are saying kids should have phones only. They should not have devices that actually have internet access or any of the apps and stuff that go with it until they're 16 or maybe 17. Now, your kids are going to, like one of my children called me Amish one time because <laughs> I wouldn't let him have a phone when he was 12. Like, that's going to happen, but so what? Like, we need to be vigilant to guard our the hearts and minds and souls of our kids. Now, here's the thing with a blended family or a divorce situation. Your kids can go to the other home, and they get handed a phone, and they get uh, watch R-rated movies, and nobody says anything about the porn on the Internet or like, wow, like that's a hard reality. This is where that co-parenting relationship comes in. Your, your influence is through your relationship with the other parent. So if you're the biological dad, you call the biological mom in the other home and say, I'm wondering if we can have a conversation about some of the influences in our kids' lives. Now, some people know, if I tried to do that, that's World War III. Some people listening right now go, wow, yeah, I suppose I could do that in a soft and approachable and respectful tone, and all of that has to go into it, and it just might get us somewhere. But for people who are saying, no, they don't care what we teach, what we think, what our values are, they're just going to do what they're going to do, you're probably right. And again, your strategy is manage your home. When the kids are in your home, you have your boundaries and your guidelines, and you teach your kids why your values are what they are knowing that they're going off to school and having influences in their life and they're going to the other home and getting influences that you don't care for. You don't be, berate the biological parent in the other home. You don't cuss them out in front of your kid. That's just Ukraine and Russia, right? You don't do that. But you do teach and hold firm to your beliefs. Um, it, it's not a battle against who the other people are in the other home. It's a battle for you to just bring the influence that you can bring. Demonstrate the love that you have in the ways that you um, that you trust are right and best for your child. You're trying to help them grow up to be an adult. And so it's okay to stick to your passions along those lines. This is complicated terrain. It is difficult. It is hard to navigate over time. But at the end of the day, that little, I want to use the word battle, but I don't. But that little task of um, continuing to show your kids and hold fast to what your values are is well worth whatever it requires of you to pull it off. I agree. All right, let's come in for a landing here. I got a couple of questions. Family Life Ministries. Yeah. 
Family Life Ministries, yeah. they, they host events called Weekends to Remember to Strengthen Both New and Old Marriages. And I see the format as one that uses a generational approach combined with faith to address uh, problems of fa- uh, that are facing families. Why is this approach effective? If it oh, is. my goodness. Well, you know, uh, Judeo-Christian values at the heart of uh, relationships adds up to healthy relationships. I mean, study after study after study, people of faith uh, have stronger marriages, have more lasting marriages, have a lower divorce rate, have more intimacy, have more sex, and have better sex than people who don't have a faith that, that centralizes them in their relationship. Like, you can go on and on and on. I'm not making this up. This is just science. Um, but even more than that, the sort of the external measurements that we might put on it, there's a quality to relationships that just brings about love and oneness and health, uh, surrender and love, you know, dying to self and, and serving your, the, the mate in your life and the children in your world. Um, brings a whole lot of personal satisfaction. Uh, it, it really is the, uh, it's the upside down of relationships that make them work and make them healthy for everybody involved. So that's essentially what Family Life does through live events. We have a national radio broadcast that's also a podcast called Family Life Today. I do a podcast called Family Life Blended. We're one of the only um, major organizations in North America that specializes in helping blended families, whether it's from dating well and getting married well to actually live in your home. We do live events, podcasts, resources, books, videos online, on and on it goes. We're trying to pour into people so that, you know, here's the thing. We, we, we believe people want to love well. Sometimes you just don't know exactly what that means right here in this moment. We just try to help people do that. One thing I, th- I thought was powerful about the, the, the concept, the uh, weekends to remember, is the, uh, the legacy approach. I, I would see how they would develop uh, really over a whole weekend the idea of younger families through families maybe 10, 20 years to somebody who might have been married 40 years and showing that there's a legacy and an impact on the next generation. What do you think the, uh, the issue of how, – how does the issue of legacy strengthen and keep families intact? Let me turn this over the other way. Anybody listening right now? Think about the legacy you were handed as a child. Was that a healthy one? Did you hear stories about grandparents who were married 50, 60 years and loved each other till the end? And it was a beautiful story of people who were committed and faithful to one another. Uh, How about your parents? Uh, Did you have stability because your parents loved one another? Did you grow up in a home where economically you did better and educationally the home was a safe place so you were able to focus on your studies and skills and make decisions about life? Or were you in a home where there was chaos and you never knew what was going to happen? It was unpredictable. Somebody had a really bad habit or an addiction or something that just fractured relationships and you lived not knowing if people loved you. You lived not knowing who you could trust. See, that's a legacy you were handed. What we want to do is help people capture a vision for, no, loving well today means you're handing your children and your grandchildren a legacy of safety, of uh, uh, emotional caretaking, love, where they feel safe enough to grow to be the person I believe God made them to be. Uh, that's something worth fighting for. My wife and I have been married for 36 years. Spencer, I will tell you, we have a far from perfect marriage. We will tell you we're a hot mess sometimes. But my goodness, marriage is growing us up. It is maturing us because we're constantly asking the questions of ourselves. How do I love well? What does this moment require of me? How can I grow up? 
in this moment, be more kind, be more gentle, be more loving. And I think we're getting somewhere. Now, we're far from perfect, but let me tell you, 36 years ago, we were really a hot mess. That's what life and relationships and family does. But when we give up on it, when we throw it away, when we walk away, you kind of stop growing up. You know, I hate to say it, but it's true. A lot of people take the easy way out, and along with that, there is no growth in their heart, life. They don't mature as a person. Their character does not improve. But when you stick with relationships and you allow it to change you, then you mature creating an environment that you can hand to the next generation where they can grow and love and, uh, and love well. Lots of wisdom. I've heard many people say that the reasons that they love their spouse now are much different than when they first did. And I, it seems like you can fall in love, but oftentimes it's a painful process. You have to go through sacrifice often to uh, experience the joy of, of uh, a renewed love. But I appreciate your words. Let me add one quick question on this. You know, it seems like there's a, a uh, almost an intractable war now between proponents of what people consider traditional family values and, and what the government does, meaning they view each other as opposites. Is the, is the uh, family versus the government something that's always going to be a protagonist relationship, or, or can, can the government and family coexist and support each other? Oh, I think they can coexist. I do know at, at times there's different agendas that uh, mean the gap is pretty wide. Um, but I do think, in at least in an ideal scenario, they can coexist. But we have to agree on what truth is in order to do that. And is there a truth giver? Or is truth just something that I manufacture for me and then everybody around me has to deal with? You know, if you live in my truth, uh, you're, you're not tied to anything outside yourself. There is no universal or eternal, maybe it would be another way of saying that, truth that binds us all together. If your compass <laughs> points to north, if it's if it's uh, calibrated to north, then it's going to give you good directions. If your compass is calibrated to you, <laughs> think about it. What good is that compass? It only leads you back to you. Like, uh, sorry, there's no way society can orient around your compass because everybody else has got a compass that's oriented around them, and that's where we really get off kilter. But if we had a universal compass that really was oriented around true north, then that we have an option. We have the ability to find our way toward that direction and find oneness as a, as a culture, as a society, even down to the smallest units of, of marriage and family. Um, so, yeah, we get a lot of discussion to have and a lot of things to talk through in order to try to agree on what true north is. Uh, but when we find agreement, my goodness, it's a good thing. Yes, it is. You're passionate and animated. I appreciate that. Tell my listeners, if you would, again, uh, you gave a little brief uh, background of how they could find you, but especially as, as far as your uh, work and for blended families, how can people follow you and get in touch with you? Yeah, so I work for Family Life. I'm one of about 350 people who are invested in pouring into marriages and families and parents. And uh, FamilyLife.com is where you're going to find us, FamilyLife.com. I run the blended family department specifically. FamilyLife.com slash blended will get you to everything that we're doing.
Great. Anything else you want to say to encourage families before we end? You know, um, I'm not sure when this is going to air, but I'm going to mention that we have a live stream event, a worldwide live stream event on Saturday, April 2nd, uh, 2022. We actually do this year after year. So even if you hear this past April 2nd, you can go online and get access to the event that you missed. It's going to be uh, simulcast in English and Spanish. All over the world, every year we have people join us specifically wanting to know more about blended family living and how they can have a stronger home. So we'd love for people to join us. That's Blended and Blessed is the name of that event. Blendedandblessed.com will get you all the information you need to know for less than 20 bucks from anywhere in the world. You can be a part of this thing. Great. Ron, I've enjoyed talking to you. Thank you very much. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Spencer. It's, it's been an honor. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to Sheer Law Group's podcast, Truth Serum, law, real estate, and everything else that matters. For more on the law, go to www.shearlawgroup.com or contact Spencer or Joshua Shear. For more info on real estate, see your real estate broker or agent. Don't forget to mow your lawn, trim your hedges, and pay your mortgage. For more information on everything else that matters, Read good books, cultivate good friends that you can share ideas with, pray often, and do not place your hopes in governmental institutions. Write Spencer Shear if you want to argue the points made in this podcast. Finally, this podcast cannot be relied on as legal advice, and SLG disclaims any responsibility for the ideas presented. See an attorney if you have issues or problems related to the subjects mentioned in this podcast. Adios, amigos. Adios, amigos.